friend of mine, uh, when I was a schoolboy, was a man called Herman Sanger. Dr. Sanger was the chief rabbi of the Reform Synagogue in Berlin just before the war, and the Temple Beth Israel in Melbourne brought him to Australia. He brought his musical director as well, and uh, I got to know him quite well through friends of mine. And um, in his luggage, he brought with him some gramophone records, and one of them was of Johnny Spieltauf. Oh, of course. The, uh, Johnny th- plays on, uh, yeah. Called the first jazz opera. Um, it surprised Americans that it should be called that, since <laughs> it was nothing like Lady Be Good. <laughs> but it was a remarkable piece of music, and I listened to it rather aghast <laughs> in 1949. Yeah. How old were you then? 49. Not being rude to ask a gentleman. Well, I must have been about... 17 or something oh, like that. Gosh. That must have really spoken to you as a 17-year-old in Melbourne. <laughs> and, um, and this man who had survived by miracle, you know, really. But um, I've, I've loved the music, uh, and uh, I feel, too, that the repertoire needs to be resurrected. Mm. Mm. In some instances, of course, it has been, in the case of Kurt Weill, but in other cases, no. Uh, and so, uh, with the help of my colleague, the wonderful, incomparable Meow Meow, we are doing this concert. And we've tried it out before at the Cadogan Hall, and it seems to be very much of the taste to the taste of British audiences. Oh, and how, and your, your Jewish audiences should flock to it. Uh, meow Meow, I think... Probably there are always adjectives just before your name. I mean, <laughs> you know, I have to say, both of you look incredible. I mean, we're just sitting here at the barbecue, you're not rehearsing or anything. You are wearing glittering jet. I would call it a cocktail dress myself, but you mm. look stunning with your gorgeous... Just dress, my just my hair. average day wear, really. <laughs> you just, that's what you do the housework in, I suppose. <laughs> I don't do the housework now. <laughs> hotels, hotels, hotels. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but that's just... You know. uh, she is a woman after your own heart. She's probably got your own heart by now, apparently. <laughs> And you've got an amazing green jacket yes, on. Yes, I'm afraid yeah. it's Austrian. Is it? Yes, it does. It I how you say it. It does look a tiny bit Austrian, actually. Yes, yeah. it's never said sorry mm. with my jacket. <laughs> but I... <laughs> I hope you're going to put lines... I seem to remember there were a lot of lines like that in the show. I think that's one of the things I loved about it. That there were, I, I've seen it already, and I'm coming again, is the interplay between you. So you, you're sort of dying to tell everybody about the music, but there's this wonderful... In between banter, I'm glad of that because you're the first person who's really referred to it. Mm. Well, and I'm conscious of it on stage, and I'm grateful for it, by the way, and for for the performance of Meow. And sometimes you actually you're more or less duetting, aren't you? Some of the stuff you do together that must be the biggest joy, I would imagine. It is, I think. um, Well, it's just a huge pleasure to be on stage with Barry. Uh, and even when we're just sitting there listening to the magnificent orchestra and we sit next to each other and we often clutch each other's hands because it's such, you know, passionate, exquisite music that it's really, I think we're both very conscious of the the beauty of that, the shared pleasure of sitting there in amongst the orchestra Mm. and really hearing them let loose is pretty thrilling. Like you've got a new orchestra. I don't, I, mean, I don't mean they're brand new, but they're new to the show, yes. different from the last time. I rather loved your Australian orchestra just because they were. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love the idea of this being the Australian Chamber Music Orchestra, whatever it was. But now you've got the Aurora Orchestra. Aurora? I hope the I Aurora. Aurora, yes. They're a wonderful, in, youthful, mm. exciting group. 
and I think we'll have as much joy from them as we did from the Australian Chamber Orchestra. And, and are they quite quite a big orchestra? Yes, yes. Mm. Yes, it's the same orchestration, and we're doing it with the blessing mm. of the Australian Chamber Orchestra. Mm. And in fact, Satu Vanska is, is uh, coming over, who's, she'll be our concertmaster. She's exquisite, virtuosic violinist, so she'll be joining oh. and leading the Aurora Orchestra. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ben Dawson, who you saw um, on piano, is really, you know, an exquisite player. And uh, I've now I've poached him and taken him around the world to play with various orchestras oh. with me. Uh, so, it's, they're, you know, they're just top-notch musicians and that's... Passion is the key, I think. It's not clean music. It's dirty and you've mm. got to get in, but you have to be virtuosic to cope with it because it's in and out of jazz. Um, then it's, you know, heavy um, classical. Then you've got sort of... It's all colliding, I think, mm. all the sounds colliding. So you need really agile musicians with agile brains who can glory in the genre jumps mm. as much as yes. we do. Sometimes it's sort of Hebraic jazz. Oh, I love that term, <laughs> Hebraic jazz. Let's have more of that, shall we? Yeah. Well, actually, some of the things you've said, would re- you're saying them as if they're something fantastic, and of course they were, and you called it Weimar Cabaret. And, of course, that conjures up all sorts of images of transgression and subversion and all that. And these were all words that the Nazis would have turned round and said it was all filthy and disgusting, which they did. Well, I think that, in a way, Mm. the reputation of the music has been tarnished by those epithets Mm. because, in fact, far from a degenerate, it's exciting new Mm. music. Mm. It's youthful, optimistic. But there are, of course, tragic elements naturally because it's by great composers mm. or or great composers of a, of a second rank it, it echoes the the zeitgeist you know you do feel on the brink of the a great catastrophe yes and i don't think that's just with hindsight they sort of got darker and darker didn't it because when they could see which way things were going. Dancing they, on the brink yes. of the volcano. Yes, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, as we know, so many of them didn't survive, and thank goodness so many of them did. And I didn't know until I saw the show that a whole lot of them did make a bolt for Australia. And I thought, we knew how they'd enriched our culture in America and here. And I was just really excited to hear that they obviously had enriched um, Australia, both you know, on the radio and everywhere else. That was really exciting news. Well, after the Avion Conference in the late 30s about what to do with these pesky Jews <laughs> who didn't like this wonderful man who'd brought so much prosperity mm. to Germany, what, they don't seem to want to live there. What a nuisance they are. Where can they go? And uh, some countries refused to take them. Uh, we in Australia had a higher quota than most countries. Mm. It's horrible to even think of a quota, but we did have a quota, and it was not a thing we should congratulate ourselves on, but it did mean that we, uh, I in Melbourne, for example, witnessed the r- arrival of very large numbers of people from Vienna and Berlin who mm. uh, were getting as far away as possible from Nazism, and they brought a lot of things to our country. Chamber music was one mm. of them. Mm. Yes, I, I, I gather they brought a, f- a fair few other things as well. But uh, I mean, good things. I'm saying, obviously, you know, like department stores and fashion and all sorts of things. Chocolate, <laughs> chocolate. Yeah, it would be chocolate. The dance world. I'm thinking Bowden Visa as well. Like, mm. all, you know, in every dance, yes. in every aspect of the mm. arts, particularly, 
uh, along with the Russian ballet, you know, mm. being stranded there, the Ballet Russe. If you think about so many people who either came there by will or by accident, that really massively influenced our culture, mm-hmm. the Australian culture. Yes, I mean, in case anyone hadn't picked this up already, Nyamya, you're also Australian. That's, sometimes. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. I love sometimes Australian, <laughs> when it suits. <laughs> but isn't, is that one of the reasons, do you think, you know, that you've, you've got so much in common? I think it's a personality type, actually. Mm. I think you can't hear this music and not be affected. Mm. And it either gets into your blood and your veins or, uh, you know, it agitates. Yes. And... That's why it's so thrilling to perform it because you can feel the it's palpable the the energy in the audience that comes from hearing these sounds, and I think you know that's influenced as we know most of twentieth century American music, mm. all of these sounds that came from that period, and the diaspora of exile, the sounds that were carried with. Because sound is is very important, and what you carry with you is is possibly easier because you can carry it in your head. And I was going to say, you know what you were talking about, about this excitement and so forth. Yes. As one who's been in the audience, shivers down my spine doesn't really do it justice, particularly when you sing Pirate Jenny or Surabaya Johnny, you know, these great Sprach songs, you know, there's partly spoken, they're partly sung. Some, I think you do it partly in English, partly in German. You're German. Yeah. Really good, actually. I Thank mean, you. Thank God, you. you're German. I'm just <laughs> astonished. I think it was Pirate Jenny you did a whole lot in, most of it in German. I did most of it in German oh. because you actually need that um, aggression, I yes, think. it's um, hard, isn't it? But the great thing of that song, of course, is that it's been redone and redone, and Nina Mm. Simone's version of it, I think, is amazing. I have not heard that. And it becomes, uh, it's a revolutionary call. I mean, Mm. that's an amazing song because it takes on uh, the minority fighting Mm. back as its theme, basically. So it's not specific to a particular culture, I don't think, and that's the mark of a great song, too, that can resonate for other people. And become their rallying song. Yes, you're right. It could have, I hadn't thought it was. A, I mm. suppose it is a rallying song. Yes, I well, think most people feel that the most interesting music of the 20th century um, in song uh, came from America. And I'm, I'm a great lover of the American songbook. But this is the German and Austrian songbook. And it's uh, somehow more intense Yes, it's got that intensity. And as you say, German, they like to pronounce every single syllable perfectly, both the vowels and the consonants, and I think that gives it that punch that you were talking about. Well, there's a punch and there's also mm. a kind of an ache, I think, and, mm. a, and a distress that you can... I mean, it works in English, of course, because just the music is so wonderful, mm. but part of the pleasure of doing this is that we can thread all of those languages in. There's a tiny bit of Russian. Oh. Uh, I think that was also very symbolic of the music of that period. It was all cultures coming together, so many languages. You know, the metropoli mm. <laughs> of the world, composers in Shanghai and Noel Coward going to the Peace Hotel. You know, mm. there's all those things around the world that were sort of um, connected, actually. Mm. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. What's interesting is that when the Nazis had that exhibition, and I, I'm sure you know possibly that there, there's also going... The, in England in 1938, there was an exhibition of the degenerate art celebrating it in, you know, defying the Nazis. Oh, I had no idea. Ah, well, there re- there's some of that has been commemorated in an, an exhibition that's on now at the Wiener Library, which is conjuring that one up again. And you can go and see that. But what I was going to say was that when they had 
I'm sure you know all this, but when they had the degenerate music exhibition, people queued around the block to, yes. to listen to it. So it was totally counterproductive from the Nazis' point of view because oh. it was a big opportunity to actually hear this stuff in booths. I mean, it was all very advanced stuff, wasn't it? It was the same when you look at photographs of the public flocking to see the degenerate art exhibition mm. in Munich and you think some came to sneer, but many would have come and been excited and thrilled by what they saw. You're going to thrill London. Barry, I was incredibly taken with the stories that you threaded through the show. I mean, you've already mentioned how you met some of these people yes. over here. I'd love to have you telling our listeners about you finding the sheet music, because I thought that was rather wonderful. I mean, you really went for it, didn't you? Well, I toured the second-hand bookshops of Melbourne when I was a schoolboy, and I found a pile, once I found a pile of sheet music by composers I'd not heard of. And uh, it was, uh, most of them were published by the famous Universal Editions in Vienna. And uh, I spent my life looking at this pile, thinking I'd love to hear the music Mm -hmm. one day. And finally we found musicians who could play it. And I thought this would make a concert. And that's this one already. And that is what we're we're doing now. So you were in it for the long game, weren't you? A very long journey. Extraordinary to think that you'd actually, you know, sort of... Mm. Well, also, just sort of, Barry's got that music. Mm. You've still got it, the actual music. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's pretty beautiful, mm. and I can mm. see also the covers are so mm. seductive, oh, a lot of them, so I can see why a schoolboy would have found, <gasps> you know, the intrigue within the just the artwork already. Yes. It spoke of another place. Mm. Yeah. And also, of course, living in Melbourne... Uh, I there were a number of uh, Jewish boys at my school, and um, uh, I rather gra- gravitated to their company. They were sort of outsiders, and I felt myself to be a bit of an outsider, particularly since my mother's favourite phrase was, "We don't know where Barry came from." <laughs> I thought, "My God, they don't know. Who does?" That must have got to you after a bit. I thought it was really funny the first couple of times, but yes, I know what you mean. If you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> Your parents do that, though, don't they? Have you got parents that embarrass you? Mine are lost in the martini mists of time, so, oh, you know. Well, <laughs> I like martini mists I've got showbiz parents mm. and uh, people who've influenced me greatly and obviously... Adoptive parents, then, sort of. Adoptive well, I think parents. Well, I think, again, it's... it's uh, you hear something in some music mm. and it, it feels like mm. family and, and the first time I heard this music it felt right and it feels mm. right singing it mm. and that's the same thing I think seeing Pina Bausch company for the first mm. time it felt both you know illuminating and familiar and that's something that is always at play in this music you suddenly hear the strains of 20th and 21st music within these origins mm. but but it's delightful to the ear because it's new yes i absolutely know exactly what you mean so what is lovely is the idea that a country will take in these refugees but then they give back and i think that's really you yes. know what we're talking about they enrich i mean we are actually about to have a Next year, that, that's all over the place. There's going to be this insider-outsiders exhibition, and that's exactly what it's about, what Middle Europa brought to here. Yes, they certainly mm. enriched the culture, if, if it had existed beforehand, <laughs> of the city of Melbourne. <laughs> and, uh, and I used to uh, frequent 
coffee bars, a coffee lounge called Rumpelmeyer's, for example. Ah, oh, yes, that's a very familiar sort of thing, isn't it? Uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> and I like very much to be in a room where not too many people spoke English. Oh, that's interesting. And these, these pl- little corners of my hometown frequented by refugees. And uh, I was found it very exciting to hear their conversation and try to understand what they represented when they came to town. And I read books, too, um, which uh, I read Stefan Zweig and Franz oh, Kafka. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I still do, you know. I always feel strangely at home when I'm in that part of the world. Because yes, they're, they're disturbing, too. Both of those authors are very disturbing. Very. Mm. Though it's interesting to know that Kafka, when he used to read his <laughs> grimmest stories, was convulsed with laughter and often fell off his chair laughing. <laughs> there's another show here, Barry. I mean, I don't Did know. Did you know I, that? No, I didn't, but I feel there's another show developing. <laughs> yeah. 50, what do you think? Yes. 50 more shows, that's oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kafka reading the trial and laughing. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's that sort of very grim, isn't it? Grim Jewish humour. Not quite sure about Meow Meow and Kafka, but could work. Well, no, I often feel like I'm in the trial. Um, <laughs> as Gregor Zamser Wachter Alf, I always think of that. Oh, uh, lovely opening line. The, really wonderful, but also yeah. just the complexity of that and why mm. great artists keep going back to it. Stephen Burkhoff, mm. you know, dances. It, again, it's a thing that keeps going into the psyche and people want to re-look at it and redo it. It never gets lost. Uh, can't get away from the Jews. <laughs> Another Jew you couldn't get away from, well, he couldn't get away from you, actually. That story that you told about Misha Spolyansky, which, again, I hope we just tell that for um, our listeners, that, for some reason, that really did it for me, the idea of you and the doorbell, but you told the story. And well, it. I knew about a composer, a Russian, called Misha Spolyansky, who lived in most of his career, his early creative life in Berlin. And I was walking up Mount Street in Mayfair one day in the, must have been in the 80s, and I passed a door with a doorbell that said Spolyansky. Now, it's not not everybody called Spolyansky, so I thought, I wonder if this is a relation of the great Misha Spolyansky who wrote Marlene Dietrich's first, Mm. first songs. So I rang the bell and a, a Berlin voice answered, and it was indeed he. So we became very good friends in his last years of life. I wanted him to write a song for my friend Dame Edna. He said he'd love to. I said, what a bookend that would mean. Marlena at one end of your life. But he died before this project could be realized, sadly. However... It was interesting to be in his house talking to him about Berlin in those days. And when the phone rang at 5.30 every night, it was Marlene Dietrich in Paris. They remained close friends and in daily communication. Um, We do sing, well, Miao Miao sings some wonderful songs by him. And he is one of the figures that was only recently being revived. Mm. Uh, most of us, I think, knew about Kurt Weill, not the others. And yet he had this amazing career in film music, didn't he? Yes, absolutely. Mm. And those the later music that Spolyansky wrote for films in, in Britain. Worked for Rank, 
so many of them went to Hollywood, he went to London. And Ranks gave him plenty of work. He wrote a lot of stuff. We found this lovely story, I'm sure you know it, about Sanders of the River. He'd done the music. That's right, that's him. Yes, 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 Paul Robeson. Zoltan Korda, yes, I think he was there, actually, in the Congo. And um, he discovered that on the river, the boatmen were actually singing Spolianski's music. (laughs) That was... Wonderful. Yeah, that was a bit of a boatman's favour. And you were there at the time? Oh, actually, yes, yes. I'm always I'm known for boating down the, down the rivers <laughs> in the Congo. Yes. Of course, Friedrich Hollander, uh, who wrote so much music, especially for Dietrich, and such a lot of film music, uh, he's a wonderful composer who features, of course, in this show. Do you sing some, something? Um, our beautiful Satu sings Hollander. Oh, yes, um, tell us about other uh, other people who... Well, are, Satu mm. is the violinist that right. I referred to before who's absolutely mm. virtuosic. She's also... Well, she's hideous to look at. It's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. She <laughs> looks like a 1930s film star. She's beautiful looking, mm. virtuosic, and then this gorgeous voice comes out. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a little duet together, a rather fun duet, um, about best friends. Oh, I, yes, I know that one. Yeah. Who's that one by the moment? That's Spolyansky. Oh, that is Spolyansky, yes. It's about two girls. Yeah. Yes. And it has all the fabulous uh, yeah. double entendres of... Uh, oh, it's, 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 there's loads to read into it, should mm. one want to. Um, but she does a very beautiful Hollander at the end of the show. Wenn ich mir was wünschen dürfte. You know, then I, I don't feel that I have a home anywhere. And... Uh, that is, of course, very relevant for people today. I think it's the most beautiful thing about looking in windows and feeling, I don't know if I belong there and I don't know if this city loves me. Mm. And I think it, uh, it's, it's really an exquisite song. Is that What's interesting about that is that that sort of underlies the whole show because we are at this terrible time of paranoia about the other and refugees on the move. Um, and, and then there it becomes explicit, doesn't it? Very much. And then there's a, an, an amazing uh, Kurtweil Brecht song, the Banaras song. And uh, it's very potent to sing that because it, it even involves the orchestra sort of almost moaning like the wind. Mm. And it really goes through there's no room in this land, there's no room mm. in this town, there's no room on this star. You know, where can we go? And it's it's really a chilling beautiful song and I think honestly holding Barry's hand and singing that song I sort of feel really connected in a way to humanity and there's something about if the the ship's going down I think at least I'm holding hands with my beloved here but there's something about music that sort of expresses that great human bewilderment with the universe and also gives you something to hang on to. Yes, that's almost like a mission statement for the show in a way, mm-hmm. isn't it? But what what I love about it is that it is very funny, as you said, but it, it is has got all that in it as well. So it must have been quite interesting working out how to pace it because it does move in and out of these different moods, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's very mercurial. And um, one moment it's merry, you know, it's hilarious, and the next minute it's dramatic and tragic and um, it, I know of no other entertainment I've never been in any show which explores such, such emotional extremes mm. and uh, 
Apart from that, it's a joy to do. And it's an experience the audience have written to us about. Um, and so we know that we're doing the right thing by doing this program. And I'm sure particularly uh, Jews uh, would appreciate it more intensely than almost any other members of our community. Yes, I think we would identify with it. Although, as Nam now says, anybody who has been in any way sort of an exile or a refugee or an outsider, exactly. you can't help it. Yeah, or even just is mm. looking at a government and, and analysing mm. what, what is society, you know. Mm. It's all, it's all there, it's, isn't it's it? It's definitely all there, yeah. yeah. And just dare I ask, I and mean, it's an awful thing to say, but are you allowed to have any favourites within the programme or is that not, not a good question? I'm not going to offend the the late composers, I suppose. But no, just well, they all do different mm. things. I mean, there's a, just an exquisite rendition of Yukali, the, the tango that's just heaven and it's it's Good beautiful, vile. isn't it? Good vile, mm. um, from his French period. I love Zuru by Johnny myself uh, as a song by Vile and Brecht because I've sort of sung it all my life and it changes every time mm. I sing it. And I think that is, the again, the mark of a great song that you can find new meaning in it every time, every time. And I can never half do it. It really takes me by the throat. And, you know, as a performer when you find those things where, where it's much bigger than you, mm. that's really a wonderful experience. That's, you know, that's my, my favourite song, I think, for me. But I love, I just love, well, I adore Barry and I love hearing oh. those stories. Mm. It's very special. Yeah. We have a ridiculous time on stage together. Mm. <laughs> we have a ridiculous time in the audience with you, and I assure everybody. <laughs> you, you, this is not a show to see once, it's a show to see at least twice, so lucky me. So, you do dare to have a favourite, Barry? Favourite? Well, I rather like singing a song by Paul Abrams called Mousy. <laughs> it's a comical duet, and it's by a composer uh, not often spoken of in the context of um, this period. He was an operatic, operetta writer, and he wrote a very successful operetta called uh, Victoria and Her Hussar. And uh, it's full of great tunes. And, uh, and then he, of course, with the rest of them, had to leave Germany in gr a great hurry and died tragically, not long after, in London. Well, he died actually about 10 years later, but in terrible penury and distress. Paul Abrams. The duet is Mousy. Mm. It's a laughing song. I think I remember that yeah. one, because that's you too, isn't it? does it very well, and she's very good at not only singing the song, but prompting me too, <laughs> when I forget the, look, the words. Oh, bless. I, it's so, you're, at least you're admitting it. I do, we I have to do a it. tango together. Yeah, I was just going to say, the dancing's rather fine. Yes, we dance, mm. and Meow is very good at saying, left, right, for goodness sake. <laughs> so, audience rather enjoy my ineptitude. <laughs> and uh, don't do yourself down. Didn't look in that. But all I can say about this show is that I love doing it. And if they said to me, "Well, you can't get meow meow," I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I have become dependent on this girl, mm -hmm. oh. and the show is she's part of it. She's integral. And, uh, and you'll see that because I'm sure that every single person listening to this will be coming along. 
They've got to, haven't they? Yeah. He's grown accustomed to my face, you see. <laughs> I think you've probably grown accustomed to all of you, actually, not just your face. It's a magical combination, I think, mm-hmm. that music and, and people who passionately love it. So, last outing for this show? Or oh, no, I don't guess last outing. It's bound to be a triumphant little season we're doing at the Barbican. It is. <laughs> but if, if we get an invitation to New York or to Jerusalem, We'd have to take those invitations because, of course, it would be perfect in, in, New, in New York and in Israel in particular. Mm. Would you like that too, Melanie? I would adore that. I, I could just keep performing this all my life. I love it. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you.